and welcome to our Africa Travel Week Connect Unlock Africa podcast, where we bring the news, views, tips and tricks from tourism experts and personalities, sometimes simply sharing a window on their world and Africa's tourism sector. Hello, everyone. I am Loanne Halden, Vice President of Communications for the International LGBTQ Travel Association. We are the global leader in advancing LGBTQ travel with buyers and suppliers as members in some 80 countries around the world, um, many of them in Africa. We are bound together, all of us, by our commitment to creating safe and welcoming spaces for LGBTQ plus travelers. And I am thrilled to be here today as part of IGLTA's ongoing partnership with Equal Africa. I have been in love with African travel since my first trip, which was to South Africa and Zimbabwe in 1996 and 1997. Um, I had an extraordinary, extraordinary experience, and I did it just as I was starting to come out. So it's with great pride that I'm back here now, fully out, and talking about how to make African travel more inclusive. I have spent my entire adult life working in queer spaces. I am very privileged and I am very aware of that privilege. So I am thrilled to turn the floor over to the real African experts in this group. Our panelists, Sherwin Banda, president of Africa Travel Incorporated, which I'm proud to say is part of the Travel Corporation's family of brands and IGLTA global partner. Hello, Sherwin. Sherwin has spent more than 20 years working in international hospitality in the UK, South Africa, and the United States. Though now living in Los Angeles, Sherwin was born and raised in Cape Town, South Africa, and remains passionate about all things African. We also have Jillian Blackbeard from Botswana, and her passion lies in Africa tourism and conservation. Hello, Jillian. She has been leading the industry for over 10 years in many high-profile roles and is now the CEO of Africa's Eden Tourism Association, the first purely private sector-driven organization representing Botswana, Namibia, Zambia, and Zimbabwe, undertaking an ambitious destination marketing strategy and campaign at all levels of the tourism supply chain. And last but certainly not least is my friend Lipian Matandavari, whose name I will never pronounce entirely correctly, I fear. But he's the founder of Insako Travel Africa, an LGBTQ-owned company committed to bringing queer travelers safely into parts of Africa some might have previously thought off-limits. He's a rarity in the space as an out-and-proud Black business owner, and his commitment has been recognized with both an IGLTA Foundation Fellowship and a scholarship for the CETT master's program in LGBTQ plus tourism through the University of Barcelona. He is from Zimbabwe and now based in Pretoria. So I would like to turn the floor over to uh, these three lovely individuals so they can each tell me a little bit about how their company works with the LGBTQ plus travel market. And I will give the microphone first to Sherwin, although I fear I may never get it back. 
<laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm so thrilled to be with you all and really inspired by the conversation that we're going to have today. I am the president of African Travel, as Luanne mentioned, part of the Travel Corporation, which is a privately owned family run business operating in 70 destinations around the world. However, my passion is everything on the African continent. So African Travel offers inclusive hospitality with our personalized journeys tailored to the LGBTQ plus community. And through our core ethos driven by service, making our guests travel experiences personal is at the heart of what we do. So it's personal to me because as you've heard, I am part of the LGBTQ plus community born in Africa. So uh, every day I'm inspired by my team, by our partners, whose goal is to support the needs of this global LGBTQ LGBTQ traveler community um, with offering inclusive, warm, personal experiences as they travel through the continent. Thank you for that, Sherwin. Um, Jillian, I'm really interested to hear about this new project because it's quite something and, and, sp <laughs> and spanning some challenging countries as well. You know what? <laughs> it's one it's amazing to think that it's new because we've been working at it and it feels like such an enormous project. It feels like we've been here for a lifetime. But yes, we started just as COVID started and it came about um, members of the private sector in Zimbabwe and Zambia coming to me and saying, look, we really are challenged by promoting our destination and very much what Sherwood was saying is promoting this experiential personal destination. How can we make ourselves better? Um, and before that, I was running with WTTC as their Africa's director. And before that, I was in Botswana Tourism. They're like, will you do this? I'm like, sure, but let's do it for a much larger organization. Because one of the things that I came from was doing country-specific destination marketing, which then confines you to a national message. And obviously in Botswana, prior to 2019, the national message was certainly nothing could be promoted on the LGBTQ market. As much as it was happening, people were coming, whenever I would bring up any subjects, people would say, oh no, can't talk about that, it's not allowed, blah, blah, blah. So what we did in Africa's Eden was really say, okay, how do we, as an organization, as a non-government spokesperson for the private sector, make sure that everything is inclusive, whether it's inclusive to a market within the region, whether we're inclusive to back travelers, whether we're inclusive to the diaspora, whether we're inclusive for, for anything. And obviously a large part of that community came and people said, well, we would like to promote it this way. So that's my history. And I think what you will find is that there is a changing narrative, a narrative where as destination marketing, we can use experiences and different personal journeys to talk about our countries. And I've seen it in the last 15 years I've been working in tourism. The narrative has changed. And it's really beautiful to see that it's kind of, don't say it's a pun, but come out of the closet. It really has. You look at social media. Um, what was it? Ellen was in Zimbabwe. 
what was it, three weeks ago, two weeks ago? And suddenly everyone could post about it. And I don't think we would have been in the same place maybe even three years ago. I think that it would have been a different thing. And, and it's so exciting to be part of a journey where you having different ways of marketing collide with a different approach to, to tourism. So that's my story. And it's a great one. Yeah. I, de- I definitely agree that things have sped up a lot. I don't know if, if it was that COVID really made us all take a step back and rethink how we were doing things and, and how we wanted to move forward in a, a smarter and more responsible way. Or well, well, COVID gave us back our humanity. And the bottom line to every subject that we talk about is that with, we've suddenly gained a huge insight to our own humanity. And I just think it's as terrible as it has been for everyone. It also has broken so many molds that it's been almost enlightening in a, in a negative, positive way. It has definitely been enlightening in every way. Lipian, um, you're sitting very much in that insider hot seat because you are on the ground in Africa and you are an out gay man. So tell me a little bit about your company and and how it came to be. Um, I think um, it has been quite an interesting journey since uh, 2018, where we established Insago Travel Africa, which is an LGBT exclusive travel company, um, primarily targeting promoting spaces. Um, I, I prefer to call them the hidden gems of Africa. And um, when we started, we realized that there was quite a huge gap in terms of, um, you know, creating a conduit between the Africa trade uh, and the, the 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 tourism, rather the tourists uh, themselves. So we ventured into destination marketing and profiling work, where we do quite a lot of work with destination marketing organizations. Uh, in the meantime, primarily across Southern Africa, where we are conscientizing them and trying to, um, I think, unpack the, the 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 value chain within LGBT tourism so that they can identify it as a niche market. The biggest challenge has been, uh, you know, these destination marketing organizations understanding that LGBT tourism is a market on its own. They have always wanted to um, segment it as a community which just exists there, but not as a market which is actually supporting um, uh, quite a number of other sectors that are offered into hospitality and tourism. So our work has been primarily on destination marketing and profiling. And um, I think, uh, like what Gillian said, COVID made us realize quite a lot of things. And in that process, we ventured into uh, LGBT mice sector, where we have been going all out, identifying, bidding, lobbying, and uh, hosting international, local, and regional uh, LGBT events uh, across Southern Africa. So I think this has been um, our little journey so far, uh, but the whole point is to unpack the hidden gems that are there in, in, in Southern Africa. Well, that sort of begs the question then, doesn't it? So what are those hidden gems? Um, you know, every every destination uh, has got popular areas. For instance, in South Africa, Cape Town is well known. In Zimbabwe, Victoria Falls is well known. Uh, Botswana, uh, you know, Chobe 
Chobe, Kasane, Okavango Delta, they're all well known. But in a case study of uh, South Africa or in a practical um, example in South Africa, we've got provinces like Northern Cape, Limpopo, Mpumalanga that have got uh, spectacular um, uh, attractions, destinations within the provinces and experiences which are there, which are also welcoming and inclusive to the LGBTQ travel segment. You know what's really interesting, though, and I was thinking what Lipian said from a destination marketing organization myself, and you you spoke about the issues or, or the way that they kind of niche it into this is how we're going to market to it and this is the market and there's almost a feeling of, well, that's over there. LGBTQ tourism happens over there. We kind of know it does. And I'm telling you from an organization was kind of, we know it happens, but no, it doesn't really come to us. And it's certainly one of the things that we found when we tried to be more inclusive was nobody really recognized it was always happening somewhere else. Oh no, that happens at other pride destinations. No one said it's in our own destination. Nobody had probably, you could say the tools to say, we actually are within our own countries proud we are proud of our own communities. And so there was always this crux that, you know, when you do destination marketing, you need to know who your market is. And the people doing it weren't always advised by people like Lipian. We were just kind of, everyone was just doing their own thing. And they didn't really have an insight that this touched us as a destination marketing organization. And it's great to hear that you're working with other organizations to help them understand what they have in their own backyard, because it's easy to do marketing if you understand who and what, and what are the topics in your own backyard and who travels and within ourselves traveling. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, Jillian. From from the TTC perspective, Sherwin, how how have you tackled the that aspect of, of marketing with LGBTQ plus travelers? And how do you view it? You know, Jillian, you made an interesting point that COVID gave us back our humanity because what actually happened across our organization when we went into lockdown, one of our greatest challenges were how are we as a community going to stay connected? And so within the Travel Corporation, we then started to have idea circles. And idea circles were... uh, our team members joining a discussion based on their interest. So I joined the LGBTQ+, and I joined the African-American Idea Circle. But the conversations now during COVID was so different. I, I was the only, on the first call, I was the only president on the call because the, the Idea Circles are actually led by people not in leadership. It's led by our team members who want to drive conversation. And one of the team members looked directly at me virtually through the camera and said, Sherwin, as a gay man, what is African travel doing to be more inclusive? And we had to have real conversation in terms of what that means. And the first area that we looked at was all of our marketing was white heterosexual couples. (laughs) And 
I, 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 it's, it's so funny. I, I, I didn't look at it through this lens of what does that actually mean to mm. people who are disadvantaged? And it, I, I, it was this hallelujah come to Jesus moment where um, we as an organization said inclusivity is not just lip service. There's a difference to be to saying you are LGBTQ friendly and being LGBTQ friendly. So no rainbow washing. One hundred percent. And 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 I will tell you, and I'm, this is not news to anyone on this panel. As someone from the LGBTQ community, we can sniff out whether something is real or not. So what we did is we took a look at how can we make tours more inclusive, focusing on the needs of sensitivity and inclusion. And we came up at African Travel with pride safaris, celebrating everything that is great about being LGBTQ and bringing that back to Pride, pride of our homeland, pride of our destination, and pride in making things matter, not only for the traveler, but for the people and the places where we visit. So when you ask, where are those hidden gems? Those hidden gems are, are experiences that people can't find for themselves unless they work with an LGBTQ plus uh, organization, advisor, or destination marketing uh, authorities. The world is changing. Our humanity is moving. And Africa is going to be the place that is going to surprise and delight people because there's good work happening in Africa. There is great work happening in Africa, but why does it feel like it's still so slow compared to other parts of the world? Why, why is Africa still lagging behind? Well, you know, for me personally, as you know, I grew up uh, during apartheid. Uh, and when I, when I think back on South Africa, for me, it was old colonial laws and stringent religious beliefs that prolonged the stigma uh, attached to homosexuality. Mm. Uh, and what's so interesting about this is when you look at Africa prior to colonization, there is evidence that same-sex practices and diverse sexualities existed in Africa long before the West actually discovered us. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that, right? So as, as a South African, again, when we were growing up in South Africa, I could not interact act with people who looked different to me because the laws of segregation prevented it. But when we, with the advent of digital technology and social media, 
we could now connect with diverse people and nationalities around the world. And guess what happened? We got new ideas and our ideas started shifting and we were exposed to different cultures. And what did South Africa say? Enough. Enough. As a result, South Africa has one of the world's, um, you know, most progressive constitutions. So to Jillian's point, where there is pride of place, there's also pride in telling our stories and our stories make a difference and our stories matter and our stories need to be told so that we can move this conversation of inclusivity forward. And the vehicle to do that, I believe, is tourism, because once you start traveling, you become less stupid. <laughs> and you're more open to differences. That's yes. why we, absolutely. You will yes. never learn anything about other cultures in a in a broad sense by staying at home in your living room. And maybe that actually gives us an idea of part of the conduit for change has been us as Africans going out, yes, on digital, but also going out and traveling. We're not stuck at home in this kind of as Sherwin was saying, under this boulder of colonialism holding the weight and whether it was the colonial empires or the religion that came out of it, um, it allowed us to kind of shed that, that kind of cloak that we had. We traveled more. Africans understood more. They were open and they were suddenly like, okay, this is working. So when you come home and you're proud with your own home, you're able to then open up tourism to having a much wider, more inclusive audience. And this really happens. And, and Sherman, when you were talking about things like black travel, it was exactly the same thing that we were doing when we we're trying to promote and how do we market ourselves on social media as an inclusive, awesome destination that we are. We are we're an awesome destination. I'm not biased at all. <laughs> no, never. And I was like, oh my goodness. And 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 some of the people who are very nice people will forgive me, but it was all what we call the silverbacks, the gray-haired white men with their spouses traveling. That that's all you saw. So it was almost that we weren't even going out to portray ourselves as something open. And there was a lot of justification. And, and I, I think we should really call a spade a spade. The justification wasn't just, oh, in Botswana, it was against the law. The justification was, well, in this country, we're very, um, we're very conservative. And, and I get this a lot. You know, we're a very conservative place. You know, PDAs, we don't, we don't do that. And I'm like, uh, okay. And it, it was such a challenge. I might be raised in Botswana all my life, but my family is, my mother's family is Danish and we were very open and open about sexuality. And I've had many different experiences through my life. And, and there was a story where I was accidentally got caught doing something, which was a PDA. And I was told, no, you, you can't do that. But I was like, but that's what I want to do. And so I think in, in terms of destinations marketing, there was so much excuse making under the guise of religion, under the guise of conservatism, under the guise of, oh, this is my family. Come on, guys, enough. If we can't 
go back to, for example, blaming everything on colonialism. We can't also blame, oh, it's our religion or it's our, it's our culture. Uh, and, and I think that there is still a lot of that. And, and there's still a lot of people who use that as a justification for not doing anything. But I think it's also- yeah, how do you push past that? I mean, you, because that's a big historical wall we're talking about. <laughs> you know, um, it's, 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 it's an interesting topic. And, you know, I, 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 could, I, you know, I could feel so much of my emotions coming out when Sharon was, uh, you know, putting it out there. Because especially if you now put it from a discussion marketing perspective, when you go to this, um, you know, before you, you, we even talk of private sector, we obviously have to start with your government institutions or your state-owned uh, bodies that are leading um, uh, in marketing and profiling tourism. And all the first time or initial engagements um, for countries uh, that for rather for destinations outside of South Africa, you always get the perspective of saying our our laws they do not support that. So if we were, if we are to endorse or support it, means we are going against our constitution and our government. Then in South Africa, um, especially when you are dealing with remote destinations, this is where you know they tell you that you know this is a a, a cultured area or a cultured a culture-oriented province, and you know it's going to take a while for us to do that. And it's 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 funny how all this is being hinged against the laws, whereas the same laws, uh, you know, like what Sharon said before before colonization, there is well-documented evidence of 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 prominent livelihoods of Africans existing in the LGBTQ space. Then came the law that said, you know, this is a taboo. This is not supposed to be done. Then post-colonization. The same laws are still applying. They've not been reviewed, and um, the governments are still adamant on sticking to these laws. But what we have done now is we have simply dangled the carrot to them and say, "But this is the value of the market." The same countries that um, colonized us. This is their position. Uh, for instance, uh, Zimbabwe against uh, the United Kingdom. This is this is this is how much they have harnessed this market, and this is how much. Uh, they are marketing. This is the initiatives that they are doing, and 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 after a couple of engagements, after a couple of uh, projects that we we do, especially with them, that's when they start realizing that oh, okay, this is actually indeed a market. And you know, I, I must also say there's there's a great deal of lack of education, especially when it comes to LGBTQ uh, tourism. They will tell you. You know, when when another country, um, I'll give an example, Zimbabwe versus South Africa. If South Africa starts recognizing halal tourism, it, it takes a couple of seasons and then Zimbabwe will say, oh, we have, you know, we are introducing this niche market uh, or this big market, which is there. Uh, we need to start promoting halal tourism. And I think it, it, it's these simple steps that will eventually um, pan out this, uh, you know, anti-LGBT um uh, sentiments and maybe we'll, we'll start realizing progress, especially with your destination marketing uh, organizations. And um, I think the more we do work with them, um, I was having a conversation with somebody uh, saying, you know, one day you're going to hit that million dollar check. And I said, you know what, I feel like they need, there is need for more LGBT individuals to establish more LGBT oriented travel companies because it's almost like we are paving the way for everybody and we are having the uncomfortable conversations, we're having the uncomfortable engagements so that when everybody else comes and follows, it's not something that is new, but it's something that they 
have a, a bit of an understanding of and eventually they can you know, follow through and everything works out for the better of the community community but at the moment there's still this so much work that is happening um demystifying conceptions <clears throat> misconceptions uh theories that they have had um yeah i think talking of theories um i'll probably answer later on uh, in the discussion yeah but i think it's we, we we just need to keep on educating them we just need to keep on knocking on those doors we really need to keep on banging on those government doors is the only way that we can go boy it's true but i i want to pinpoint in a minute on on laws because we talked earlier about the fact that you know Botswana decriminalized homosexuality in 2019 but what does that really mean in a country i mean globally we do see shifts when countries change their laws to be more favorable to lgbtq people to promote equality but at the same time what does it really mean on the ground does it really change hearts and minds and how long does that take i think it's a i think it's a process i uh, let's look at south africa you know um for, for 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 south africa to be where it is it took probably three or four bills um in 1994 it was the legalization of um same sex relations amongst males uh 1996 there was another one uh 2006 it was the civil union bill uh and just last year it was in fact when they did the civil union bill in 2006 you still realize that you go to the department of home affairs with your partner to uh you know to the marriage officer so that you can solemnize your marriage but you would get there and then you'd say oh this is against my culture so i cannot uh, marry you guys then you have to go and find a private uh, uh, marriage counselor then last year what they then did is the law simply compelled them to to solemnize these marriages because you are an employee of the south african government and this is the position of the south african government so you realize that it's not something that happened overnight but there there were other supporting bills that had to be uh, put in place to support the the um, i think the the the, the ultimate liberalization of the lgbtq community so for botswana it's it's as, as you know it's exciting it means we can start having those uncomfortable conversations and also uh, i think there is a great deal of support that is required for the international community uh, for south africa to support the botswana community so that they can also stand up and rise within themselves and you know voice out their concerns voice out their presence so that all of these supporting views should it be necessary for country botswana they can also be put in place i am sure that jillian has something to add about botswana <laughs> no i do and and it's not always the best thing but it, it, it you know i think that the like everything time will time will heal and we will move forward 2019 really was the time where same sex was legalized but marriage is not same sex marriage is not legal in Botswana so yes that happened and and the crazy thing is even though the high court legalized um uh same sexual acts between men and women um the actual government of Botswana appealed the high court judgment in 2019 and it was only now overturned in 2021 that they upheld that judgment so the sad thing is if your own government is appealing against the high court on a judgment that should be inclusive 
we still have a really long way to go. Um, and, I, and I think that that's true and support through South Africa, through our networks is so important. But, you know, I think that there is a long journey. On the other hand, the judgment made a big difference for, um, for the community in Botswana, but for tourists and travelers, I don't think that it was any, any big change besides you feel that you have the legal protection to it. So on one hand, I'm saying that the change in Botswana's law made a big difference to the people here, and we still have a long way to go. But from a tourism perspective, tourism almost lived in its own bubble. And, and I think that the change needs to come now from a destination marketing perspective to say, yes, this is enshrined in our in our judicial system and marketed and people to feel comfortable. The fact was there were many people were coming to Botswana anyway and, and tourism lived in its own bubble. But I think we have an advantage and we have something we can now tell a wonderful story about. Sherwin, how does that work for TTC operating in so many different countries in Africa? How do you see the laws of the various countries related to LGBTQ plus people impacting or not impacting the way that queer people travel? Listen, at the end of the day, laws matter because they have a material impact on the people living there and the people visiting that destination. So at least... At least the decriminalization is a step in the right direction. What it does, it gives us permission to dream. And it gives us permission to say, we see you, Botswana. We're coming. And we did. TTC uh, in 2020 opened our first lodge that we own in Botswana because of the progressive nature that the that, that was evident in the destination. So we, uh, it is a love letter to Africa because our roots were actually started started in Africa, and so from a corporate point of view and a business point of view, business informs us where there's going to be good practice and good opportunity for growth from a TTC perspective. From an experience point of view, we want our travelers to feel safe. And being safe is not only um, safe from a, you know, walking around, but safe from a protection, from a legal point of view. So they do matter for travelers and organizations. And the good news is that there are now, we have seen other destinations in Africa making similar shifts, which is exciting to see because, you know, um, Mozambique, a destination that decriminalized sex relationships in 2015. Seychelles, um, same-sex relationships. As well, and members in Namibia, where it hasn't been decriminalized, but people are out there. I have um, a member of Africa's Eden in, in Namibia called Out Namibia, harmonizing and putting it together. So it is happening. And it's, I think, through these channels, people can then use each other as 
as guides for their experience and 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 listen to people like Sherwin <laughs> who, who talks with such pride. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? I mean, there there has to be community engagement. There has to be an, an involvement on the ground because we're not we're lovers of tourism and hospitality, but we don't operate in a bubble. There has to be that human connection with the people and the places that where we're, we're traveling. So I, I think it's important to talk to the people listening about the fact that um, we, we need to give them some sort of concrete ways that they can engage themselves because we are... Um, quite knowledgeable in a way perhaps that many of the people listening are not. So there are some things that might seem obvious to us, or there's ways in which, as Lippian said, you know, we, we're paving the way, but there are people out there that want to follow. We need them to follow, but what kind of concrete advice can we give them to do that in an authentic and genuinely helpful way? You know, there's also another reason why I think that we've lagged behind when we talk about queer travel, travel, more inclusive human travel is because certainly not South Africa, but Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe, and Zambia has always been marketed and, and the product created around wildlife tourism. That was the, the focus of it. So the way we created the travel experiences, us as the travel industry, was surrounded around wildlife tourism. You go to these countries to experience wildlife. And I think what we're seeing now and why it's so much more possible to change the narrative is because travel, yes, people travel for wildlife, they do, but they travel for so much more. And it is that human connection that is creating those openings. But for the longest time, we really, really only created product around singular wildlife tourism. That's all you went to certainly Southern Africa for. And, and it was very difficult then to create a human element around this, to create experiences. Julian, I think you touched on a very interesting point. You know, research shows us that 90% of luxury travelers or travelers just in general will pay more for experiences that are tailored just to the, for them. And research also shows us that people will pay more for sustainable experiences where it promotes, you know, beyond just the travel experiences. So uh, when we look at, when we ask our clients why they go to Africa, they all say to that point, Jillian, we want to see wildlife. But when you survey them upon return, they say they will only return because of the human connections they've made. Uh, the opportunity for us in tourism is to promote destination, diverse destinations and experiences beyond just a very narrow experiential offer, offering. And there are destinations that are safe. And I, I, one of the things that I would love to see as an industry is us coming together 
and celebrating and recognizing business excellence for people who include LGBTQ plus experiences. We need to recognize as an industry the best of the best and call them out because in so doing, everybody else wants to be better. I think there, we as an industry as well, I think we've been doing this a little bit better than most other industries, employ people from LGBTQ plus backgrounds, but they need to be positioned forward in places of leadership around the boardroom table to challenge policy, procedures in destinations. And we need to advocate for people who can do that. Uh, and if they're not from our community, then at least be a very strong ally with proven track records to make, to make sure that this happens. We need an industry standard of what good looks like. Uh, and there are a lot of good work that is being done, um, but people are not touting that. You don't see it on social media. You don't see it in the email marketing. It's a, you know, by the way, we do this. Mm. LGBTQ plus travelers make up now more than 10% of global travel and 79% of them actually have a passport and say that they will travel internationally. If we want to grow as an organization, inclusivity is not something we do in the dark. It needs to be front and center and a core part of our business practice. And the evidence needs to be seen in destination by people who are serving those experiences and how tourism makes it a difference in the destination because we are going to choose to spend our money with those partners. So there's a great opportunity for us as businesses to really move this conversation forward. And it needs to be a conversation that moves forward 365 days a year and not Hallelujah. for June Pride Month. And, <laughs> yes, I, yes. and I am no in no way calling out Equal Africa here for doing this panel during Pride Month because they do programming year round and they are showing that year round commitment to elevating LGBTQ plus voices in the space. But there are a lot of other businesses out there that wake up in June and then go back to sleep the rest of the year. And we really need to get people moving year round because that's how you move the needle. What do you say to that, Lithian? <laughs> I think it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a sad thing that um, now uh, back to South Africa, pinkwashing and tokenism is one thing that we see quite a lot. And um, on the eve of the 1st of June, if you were to go on social media and you check out the logos of all of these corporate companies, right exactly at midnight, you realize that they're all putting a little bit of a rainbow on their logos and the narrative starts changing. And the same applies on the 31st or the 30th of June. 
um, once we go into July, they all revert back to their logos and it ends there. Um, I think, like what Sharon is, is saying, equality, inclusivity, all has to be front, center, all year round. Um, and this is something that we're not seeing, unfortunately, I think especially from a South African uh, scene. We only have uh, corporates that we see that they do show their visibility when it's Pride Month or when a particular city is hosting a particular uh, Pride Parade and then you see that they are visible there. But any other project, any other initiative, any other uh, collaboration that is going to do with the LGBT community, all of a sudden there are no budgets for that. But budgets are available in June. It's something that is going to be changed. And um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a sad narrative, but hopefully with time, this is something that will change. And, you know, we can also have that 365 conversation provided we've got enough um, voices to support all of those 300 days. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I think people can do today, start taking or include LGBTQ um, experiences in your marketing collateral today. Showcase LGBTQ people as part of the people that you are wanting not only to attract, but also to serve. One of my biggest challenges when we started launching Pride was that a lot of accommodation providers never had any footage. We had to send people into the destination to go and take pictures. If LGBTQ plus travel is important to you, it needs to be important, like Luanne says, every day of the year. And I will argue that if you make LGBTQ plus travel important, everyone else from every minority background will see it as a place for them to be included as well. Because we have people from every background part of the LGBTQ plus community. We have people who are, um, you know, disabled and still want to travel. We still have people who are coming from minorities around the world and still want to travel. And if and our friends and our family love us and want to travel with us, and they are going to want to support brands that make travel matter for every single one of their family members and every single one of the important relationships. This is an, a great opportunity to go back to how we started when Jillian said uh, COVID gave us our humanity back. I believe our humanity has always been present. We just didn't illuminate it well enough where the people were actually doing good. And our time now is to illuminate these amazing brands that celebrate inclusive travel and include training opportunities for their team members to be upskilled with the language of inclusivity. So I'm excited about what we are seeing in Botswana and I believe that we are going to see other African nations taking the lead as well. Uh, and my next trip, guess where I'm going? 
Botswana. <laughs> so I'm really <laughs> excited. Well, you'll have to come and visit us, Sherwin, and give us a tip and hint. And I think one of the things that we haven't talked about, because I was sitting here thinking, well, how do I take the message of this conversation that we've had to my members, the 400 companies we represent? And one of the really awesome things that you said that I hadn't thought about because I always live in the destination marketing space was let's start by upskilling and empowering our own employees. It should be something that we are empowering our employees front and center from the LGBTQ community. Let's empower them. Let's celebrate them. And that's something everybody can do all, all the time. And by having our own employees empowered, we can then become a more inclusive destination. So thank you. And it, it really has given me food for thought about, well, when I next have a, a, a conversation with, with my members and we talk about product, it isn't just, oh, how do we develop product? How do we market? But it comes to a human resource. How do we empower and celebrate a resource that is welcoming? And, and, and that's a big difference. That is so great, Gillian. And, and, and tell their stories. Like, why were they... Why were they attracted to tourism? I was attracted to tourism because I grew up in South Africa during apartheid and I could only be around people who look like me. So tourism was my vehicle where I could be around people who were different to me. And I could speak to people from all parts of the world. And it got me so excited that I said, you know what? I'm moving to London because guess what? I liked the gay guy I met from London and guess where I ended up. <laughs> so tourism is a vehicle and can be a vehicle for positive change. And us as legal leaders in the African space need to be consistent and determined with our um, goal to be d uh, those instruments of change um, in, a in, in, in a destination that not only needs tourism, but benefits from tourism on a daily basis. I think you're all incredible instruments of change. Bless you. And we, we only have a few minutes left, so I'm going to let you all just deliver any parting advice that you'd like to offer to our listeners today. What, suddenly you're going to go quiet? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which I would, <laughs> I would I would say to our listeners... Why, why, why should you be marketing uh, inclusive travel to the LGBTQ plus travelers, I guess? Uh, I would say that the LGBTQ plus market is one of the fastest growing tourism sectors globally. And in a recent article I read, it said that they were predicting over a 180 million gay travelers by 2030. 
And if we look at research, most people say that they will buy travel from travel brands that have a proven track record with regards to LGBTQ plus travel. Uh, LGBTQ plus travelers, um, they travel more, they stay longer, and they spend more money. And when we look at just the U.S. market, the spend is estimated to be more than 57 billion annually. So these are people who have disposable income and it is a niche market for those people who who want to grow travel uh, in meaningful ways. Uh, you know, Africa is an amazing destination. Nowhere on the planet other than Africa can you experience the experiences that are on that continent? And to go back to what Jillian was saying about, you know, this COVID changing our humanity, I would echo that Africa as, is seen as the origin of humanity. It is the first place where we, that we have recorded fossils uh, going back to the beginning of time. And it's a place that is calling for our humanity to change, to be more inclusive. And tourism can definitely help that. So I hope that this conversation encourages further conversation, but most importantly, action. Action to change, to make travel matter for the for the LGBTQ people of the world, but most importantly, for the people and the places that we visit on the African continent. Mm. Well, how do you say that? Except for Botswana is the cradle of humanity. So we come back yes. to Botswana. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, yeah, change. You have to have courage. We have to have courage, just like Sherwin. We have to have courage, like Lipian. Courage to to live and just do it, the action, because I think that there is a disconnect between action and speaking in our tourism industry. We are very slow. It is a wonderful industry to be in, but we, we, we set in our ways. And I think you need to not just listen to it, action it, and you're never going to go back because the opportunities are so enormous both to your business, but to the way your company is in itself. The action has to come from within, not from the outside. And the change has to come from within, from your human resources to your marketing, all the way up to the leadership of the company. So for me, it's time to action inclusivity rather than just speak about it. Um, I think... At the end of the day, um, we have to recognize that we still have a long way to go. And um, hopefully, as, as, as operators, as um, 
uh, tourism experts, we can all come on board and support, uh, I think, the different governments of where we come from and sort of like give them that um, uh, push uh, so that they can go on, recognize the market, uh, the value of the market. Because at the end of the day, I, I think for countries like Zimbabwe, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Um, I think Gillian would, would, would agree. There's a lot of work, especially if you're dealing with Zimbabwe Tourism Authority. Um, there's always a lot of push, uh, persistency, consistency that you need to do. And I think once we start pushing this narrative, we really need to stay consistent and um, eventually we will get there and we just have to stay put and hang on. The one thing I know is our LGBTQ plus community and supporters are not afraid of hard work. We will put in the work because the hard work affects change. Uh, we don't only come out once to our family. We come out every single day when you go to a place that doesn't recognize you fully. And the option to do nothing is not an option. We are going to move this conversation forward. I'm excited about it. I'm inspired. You've inspired me. And now I'm going to get onto my next list of what can we do for the LGBTQ plus community in Africa. Thank you. Sherwin, Jillian, Lippian, what a treat to just sit back and watch the show. It's really been amazing, inspiring. I've loved being here with you today. Thank you to Equal Africa for putting this on, for, for sparking this important conversation. I hope we will keep having many more of these conversations in the near future. I, I will say that IGLTA is here for everyone listening as a resource. You can visit IGLTA.org to find guides and research that will help you along your journey. We are here for you because we're all in this together. Change is coming. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.